for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey, Spooky Fam. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Morbid Curiosity, a paranormal and true crime podcast. This is your host, Nicole. I will be taking you through some of the most morbid, heinous, and shocking crimes, plus the paranormal, as you join me bi-weekly to cure your morbid curiosity. Take time to join me on Facebook to discuss with other listeners, get updates, etc., and on Instagram to view photos related to the cases that I cover. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Don't forget to leave a review on the platform that you listen on. Don't forget to grab your snacks and a drink. Let's get started. This is Morbid Curiosity. Hey all my weirdos, I just wanted to pop in and welcome you to episode 40. Today we're going to talk murder, of course. Um, I really wanted to cover the new crazy murder love story that's happening Um, It's a very unfortunate um, death, you know. um, Most of you probably have seen it. We're not going to spoil it. But that case is coming soon when I'm not really sure as it is brand new. It just happened. So there's not really a lot of information out at the moment. And I have yet to be able to sit down and watch the full court proceeding to get the information because I'm just a little too busy right now. So, if I can get as much information as possible and make you at least a half hour episode off of the court proceedings, then I will do so. But if not, we may just have to wait. Now, sources for today will be All That's Interesting, Wikipedia Patch, and The Crime Wire. And of course, today we're going to be covering Jana Murray, aka you may know as Lululemon Murder. So, let's dive in. So, founded by Chip Wilson in Vancouver, Canada in 1998, Lululemon is a yoga-inspired technical athletic apparel company for both men and women. What started as a design studio by day and a yoga studio by night soon became a standalone store in November of 2000 on West 4th Avenue in Vancouver's Kitsilano neighborhood. Now, the company has around 655 stores as of the beginning of this year in January. They are international and they do sell online as well. In November 2007, the New York Times reported that Lululemon made false claims about how its Vita-C clothing claimed that they were made from seaweed and provided anti-inflammatory, antibacterial, hydrating, and detoxifying benefits. Of course, with extended lab tests, they failed to find significant differences in mineral levels between a regular t-shirt that was made of cotton and their Vita-C fabric. 
Lululemon was subsequently forced to remove all health claims from its seaweed-based products marketed in Canada following a demand from Canadian Oversight Agency, the Competition Bureau of Canada. In 2012, Lululemon filed a lawsuit against Calvin Klein and supplier G3 Apparel Group for infringement of three of its design patents for yoga pants. The lawsuit was somewhat unusual as it involved a designer seeking to assert intellectual property protection and clothing through patent rights. The case was settled out of the court the same year. And of course, in 2013, some customers complained that the clothing quality was all but poor. Um, with some items being way too sheer to even wear, it was see-through, some holes started appearing just after a few uses or wears, and in December of 2010, they had to recall their reusable bags because they were made from polypropylene and had high levels of lead. Now, in 2013, they also recalled their black yoga pants that were unintentionally transparent and too thin. The recall, which amounted to approximately 17% of all women's pants sold in its stores everywhere. It impacted its financial results, of course, and resulting financial loss and damage to the brand led to a forced department um, closure. And, um, of course, the chief also had to depart from the company as the chief product officer, Sherry Watterson, and its CEO, Christian Day. So, they kind of had to move on to bigger, better things. Founder Chip Wilson has made numerous controversial statements himself, and in a 2004 interview, he even mocked Japanese pronunciation of the company's name. In 2013, he said that the company did not make clothes for plus-size women because it was, quote, too costly. In an effort to explain away excessive peeling in the brand's clothing, he blamed some customers for wearing Lululemon's clothes improperly or for having body shapes inconsistent with what his clothes were supposed to be worn with. In an interview for Bloomberg TV in 2013, he stated that some women's bodies were unsuitable for the brand's clothing. Time called the remarks fat shaming. Comments such as these reportedly led to his resignation as chairman, and in June 2006, he published an open letter to shareholders stating that the company had, quote, lost its way and given up market share to Nike and Under Armour. After he was denied the opportunity to speak at the company's annual meetings, since then, he used his website to elevate Lululemon to criticize the brand and business. So, he made it, and now he's against it because he got caught. In 2021, a Business Insider report revealed that an unnamed company director pushed employees to create All Lives Matter campaign to be displayed on its website in response to the murder of George Floyd. Employees pushed back, but they were told to move forward and create a mock-up with All Lives Matter coffee. However, they also created a Black Lives Matter artwork mock-up that in the end was selected instead. The director apologized to 200 members of the company over conference call and subsequently left the company afterwards.
Coming into 2022 in September, 1,698 yoga teachers and students via advocacy groups Stand.Earth and Action Speak Louder wrote to the company demanding a transition to 100% renewable energy by 2030. They claim that roughly half of the firm's energy came from coal production. In May 2023, it was reported that Lululemon fired two employees from Georgia store for calling the police during a looting or robbery, but the company said that they were fired for physically confronting or following the looters. The two employees physically approached the looters and one of them took a video recording of them stealing with her cell phone. They followed the looters out of the store towards the parking lot, which, you know, companies do say don't do that because that's super dangerous and you really shouldn't. Uh, it's the company's problems. You're getting paid minimum wage to work at Lululemon or wherever, you know. You're getting paid minimum wage. I ain't following no, you know, looters. That ain't gonna happen. But the company did say, quote, the two employees at our Peachtree Corners location in Georgia were not terminated for calling the police. They were terminated for knowingly violating our zero tolerance policy related to physically engaging with the perpetrators, which put their lives and the safety of our guests and others' employees at risk. Employees are able to instruct um, to call 911, excuse me, when needed, and that was not the cause of the termination in this case. The three looters were arrested within days and charged with felony robbery. So these, these ladies not only put themselves, the customers, and other employees at risk, you know, um, it's just one of those things that companies do to cover their ass, uh, nonetheless. So if you work in retail, a girl just sit back and let them do whatever. Unless they gonna try to hurt you, um, you just sit back and let them rob. And that's it. Call 911, you know, if you can get away from them, lock yourself in a room, or after the fact, because they don't pay you enough to uh, put your life on risk. So moving on from Lululemon as a company, let's get into Jaina Truxell Murray, which is our unfortunate victim of today's podcast episode. Um, Jaina, who was 30, of Arlington, Virginia, formerly of Houston, Texas, was born November 22nd, 1980 in Wichita, Kansas, to David, Phyllis, and Rosaline Murray. She attended St. Louis University in Madrid, Spain for two years before graduating with a Bachelor of Science degree from George Washington University in Washington, D.C. She was near completion of her Master's of Communication and Master in Business Administration from John Hopkins University, also in Washington, D.C., and she did work five years with Holly Burton, which is an American multinational corporation responsible for most of the world's hydraulic fracturing operations. She was a graduate student at John Hopkins University. She did accept a job at Lululemon Athletica, so that way she can go out and meet other active people in the community, attend seminars, and that would eventually help her pursue a Master of Business Administration degree. She did love animals, dance, and travel. She was also wildly adventurous, which I love to learn about her. And she also carried with her an extensive volunteer resume, including many different organizations she was involved in. Jaina just loved life on the edge and to the fullest. Multiple adventures, 
in all phases of completion describe the way this incredible young woman lived her life to the fullest extent. Brittany Norwood, um, per CrimeScenecleanup.com, she was born May 18, 1982, and was part of the 2000 graduating class from Decatur High School in Federal Way, Washington. She moved to Long Island, New York to study psychology at Stony Brook University and received praise as a remarkable soccer player playing defense throughout her junior year. At the time of the investigation, Brittany had no formal criminal record. She did, however, have a number of complaints from team players, classmates, roommates, etc., claiming she was a kleptomaniac. She stole money, clothes, other things from them, and by her friends, she was described as, quote, very sweet, funny, an amazing soccer player. Stealing was her only vice. She was eventually reported, which resulted in her losing her scholarship, and she was expelled. There were also allegations of her stalking an ex-boyfriend in 2007. A restraining order had even been filed against her by the same ex, and she constantly rescheduled the hearings due to work conflicts, supposedly. Now, despite writing how serious the matter was to her, a year later the warrant expired as her ex-boyfriend could not offer evidence of domestic violence claims. She eventually moved to Washington, D.C. or Maryland sometime that year to live with one of her four sisters. She initially started working at a hotel and was quickly promoted to manager. Of course, that didn't last long as she had strong aspirations for opening her own gym. The strong aspirations ultimately led her to put in applications to places like Lululemon Athletica. As far as we know, the two women had no kind of sort of deep relationship. Um, they weren't friends, they were just co-workers by trade, and they just worked together, and that was it. Like, they didn't have each other's number, and they met each other while working at the store together. Other than that, reportedly, they've had never had any issues. On March 11, 2011, Jane and Brittany were both working closing the store at the Lululemon shop in the upscale Bestesda Row shopping center. Now, according to the Baltimore Sun, the two women checked each other's bags at the end of the night because it's store policy. And, you know, Brittany being the kleptomaniac, guess what was found? Jaina found a pair of stolen leggings in Brittany's bag. They left the store around 9.45. Six minutes later, Jaina called the store manager to let her know about the leggings. Now, soon after, Brittany called Jaina and told her she left her wallet in the store. We needed to go back to get them. You're the only one with keys. I need you to come back. At 10.05, the pair re-entered the store. Moments later, employees at a neighboring Apple store heard a commotion outbreak. According to WJLA Apple employee Jaina Verzo, heard a woman's voice say, Don't do this. Talk to me. What's going on? Followed by 10 minutes of shouting and grunting. The same voice later said, God help me. Please help me. The Apple employees did not call authorities because they thought it was just drama. So unfortunately, by standard effect, somebody probably did want to call and, you know, led with the crowd. They went with the crowd saying, eh, you know, yeah, it's just drama, don't worry about it, whatever, whatever. And unfortunately, somebody lost their life, so. 
you hear something, say something. Don't matter if everyone around you says everything is fine. If you think it's not fine, call. She quickly dashed out onto the street, out of the front door, where she called 911. While outside, she noticed another person was waiting beside the store at the Apple store, the neighboring store. She explained to the man named Ryan about the moaning sound and asked if he would go inside with her to just make sure nobody was hurt. He agreed to do so, and while she waited, he pushed his way through the ransacked store. A few minutes later, he yelled from the back of the store and told her to call police immediately. What he had found shocked him. He found a woman's body lying face down, covered in blood. He told Rachel that there was another person, a woman, who was tied up in the bathroom, barely breathing, and may have been assaulted, possibly. She called 911 again to report what they had found in the store. When she called for a second time, she stated, I think someone is dead. She also told the operator, I'm so scared one of my girls is hurt. She made a slight moan when she breathed, like you would hear an injured person. And that is what Ryan said during his testimony in court later on. Now, Montgomery County Police responded to the 911 calls, of course, and arrived to discover the store in total disarray. On the floor, which was covered in blood, they found two sets of bloody shoe prints, one big, one small. The non-responsive body in the back belonged to a 30-year-old woman named Jana Murray. Jana was an employee of the Lululemon store and had worked the closing shift the night before with Brittany. Police also discovered a badly shaken, traumatized 28-year-old Brittany Norwood, whose hands and feet were zip-tied in the bathroom. She had cuts all over her chest, arms, legs, and face. First responders rushed Brittany to the hospital, of course, as she was the only one who was alive and survived the attack. Once she was stabled, she recounted to them what happened that night. She explained to police that the night of closing, March 11th, she and Jana were closing the store together, like always, right? Once they left, she realized she forgot her wallet in the store. She called Jana and asked her to come back to unlock the store so she could retrieve it. The only reason why she called her back was she was the manager or manager on duty. She was the only one that had keys, so that's why she insisted she come back to unlock the door for her. While the women were inside the unlocked store, Brittany said two masked men barged in surprising them. They attacked her and Jaina and proceeded to tie them up and sexually assault them. When Jaina resisted, the men began beating her brutally and eventually stabbed her to death. She stated that at this point, she realized she would just have to do whatever the perps asked her to do. She was then beaten and cut with a knife, but luckily survived with only superficial wounds. The perps left her tied up in the bathroom. Officer Nuff, the first to respond to the scene, said she saw blood and Jana's body in the hallway, but wasn't able to open the door. Officer Nuff then discovered Brittany and asked if she was alright, but she didn't respond to her. She just assumed that this was out of her being traumatized as she said quote all I could think is that she was traumatized this was such a traumatic experience that just the touch of a hand could cause this reaction now officer Nunth tried to touch Brittany asking her if she was okay and she jumped that's why she made that statement 
Corporal Russ Rankin of Montgomery County Police also testified during court later on and who also responded to the scene was able to squeeze through the door. He and Officer Nunth checked for a pulse and Officer Nunth said, quote, I felt nothing. There was no pulse. She was cold. She was stiff. Police asked the hospital to perform a medical examination on Brittany and to preserve any DNA or other forensic evidence and then left to begin their investigation. After classifying the incident as a murder-turned-homicide or attempted murder, police set out to find the attackers. First, they had to investigate the backgrounds of all people involved, which included both of their victims. Although police were suspicious of Brittany's story from the get-go, as evidence on the blood-soaked scene pointed to an inside job. So, during their investigation into the background, they found out that Brittany Norwood was one of nine children. Her father owned an upholstery business. Although they didn't have much, the Norwood family stressed the value of hard work and education. By the high school, um, she was demonstrating good athletic skills and was recruited to play at Stony Brook University on scholarship as a defender for the women's soccer team. She started college in 2000, played until 2003, and that's of course when we talked about it earlier, she was accused of stealing and booted. This was definitely a behavioral problem for Brittany, though most people consider it more of a joke. Everyone would say, quote, oh, that's just something she does. A soccer teammate said she was her best friend in college, but they had a falling out because she was acting like a kleptomaniac. Brittany had stolen money and a designer shirt from her, which was expensive. She also said that she was very sweet, funny, and an amazing soccer player. Stealing was her only vice, as we said earlier. But this vice quickly escalated, and eventually all the people she stole from came forward to report her, and as I stated earlier, she was expelled and lost her scholarship. One day after the murder, Montgomery County police detectives continued to track down leads and tips, but couldn't find any other eyewitness accounts. Accounts. <laughs> One day after this vicious murder, Montgomery County police detectives continued to track down leads and tips, but couldn't find any other eyewitness accounts. And because the perps had entered the unlocked doors left open by the women, there were no security cameras and no evidence of a break-in. Meanwhile, all the public knew was that there was two crazy men out on the loose who attacked two women, murdered one, and sexually assaulted them. And based on Brittany's reports, police re released a statement saying they were looking for two men, one around six foot tall, the other around five foot three inches. The murder of Jaina unsettled the community as a whole. The store owners offered approximately $125,000 reward to anyone who could help police find and apprehend and convict the two supposed male perps. Now, a little bit later, the community held a beautiful vigil for Jaina, which during this vigil, people began to whisper, um, Brittany, the only survivor in the gruesome attack had been arrested and charged with first-degree murder in Jaina's death. Once the police arrested her, people began with their theories about what really happened that night 
of March 12, 2011, excluding the supposed two masked men, of course. But Jaina's family nor the community knew what was going on as police kept it to their chest, close to their chest, about everything going on in the investigation. Those shocking details wouldn't be disclosed until Brittany Norwood's trial seven months later. The Lululemon store where the crime occurred had been boarded up and closed since they were waiting for the trial. Now, when it officially finally reopened in 2011, Jaina's family attended the ceremony, and above the entrance, the store dedicated a beautiful tribute to Jaina, a stained glass mosaic engraved with the word love. In April, her parents told the media they were just as confused as everyone else because they didn't even know about Brittany. Jaina never mentioned Brittany. There was no drama. She didn't even mention her in passing, so they were confused as to why this even happened. Brittany was finally charged with first-degree premeditated murder and second-degree specific intent to kill murder. Her trial started on October 26, 2011. Now, the trial is when people learned all the horrific details. So, Jana Murray and Brittany Norwood had only been co-workers for just three weeks at the Bethesda Row Lululemon location. Three weeks, that was it. According to witness statements, before she left, Jaina performed a bag check, common for retail store employees, especially if you're handling a $100 pair of leggings. Um, you know, and unfortunately, they had to check each other's bags, like we said earlier, that's just store protocol. When she found the yoga pants in Brittany's bag, which was consistent with her history of stealing and being a kleptomaniac, um, it's unclear whether Jaina confronted her when she first found it or if it was just like oh, have a good night you know like if she just let her go with them and called the manager like we we don't know now you know either way Jana knew that Brittany a brand new employee had stolen from the store so she did what she was supposed to do and called the manager On March 12th, the day of the incident, Detective Deanna Mackey met with Brittany at the hospital to get her statement. At this point, she was still considered a victim. Now, investigators needed to get her story, which they hoped would provide some more clues about the perpetrator. Now, what I'm about to tell you is what Brittany told police that day. During this interview, Detective Mackey was surprised at the level of detail that Brittany actually remembered and provided in her story about the mass intruder. Among these details was her claim that he assaulted her with a clothing hanger from the store, which was why the crotch of her pants had been torn. But the hospital reported back to police that her medical examination revealed no evidence of sexual assault. While this doesn't necessarily disprove a rape allegations, because sometimes you know, there is not, you know, vaginal proof, um, besides if they've left DNA. It added to the investigators' growing doubts about her account of the whole entire incident. On March 14th, just two days after the incident, Detective Dimitri Revin and James Drury spoke to her again, this time at her house. At this point, they believed she was still a victim. 
She supposedly cried to detectives while revealing even more details about her supposed attack. On March 16th, two days later, police asked to meet with her at a station to collect her fingerprints and hair samples for elimination purposes. What she didn't know was that in the past few days, police had discovered her DNA inside Jaina's car and now considered her a suspect. The next day, her family called police and said she had a new detail about the attack that she had withheld out of fear that the attackers would return for her. One of the new details she provided was that in the middle of the attack, the suspects untied Brittany and forced her to go outside by herself, get in Jaina's car, move it, and come back. Brittany likely concocted the story because she suspected police had already found the evidence inside Jaina's car. You know? She's, she's trying to stay on their level. The next day, police brought her back in for more questioning. She started the conversation by doubling down on the hypocritical, you know, story, hypothetical story of the car, right? She said that the reason she just, you know, got in the car, she didn't get in the car to leave, you know, she was in the car, why didn't she just drive off? Um, the reason why she didn't get in the car and just leave to get help was that the attackers had seen her home address on her ID and she was terrified that they would come after her. She went on to say she'd even passed a cop while moving Jana's car but didn't attempt to alert the officer. She said she just parked the car and went back into the Lululemon store. When police examined um, her and her story and told her <laughs> that's not really making any sense, she grew frustrated and said she wanted to go home. At this point, police finally confronted her with all of the evidence they collected, and she was arrested. Now, of course, during the investigation of the crime scene, investigators had discovered the murder weapons. These weapons provided the forensic evidence which led to Brittany's arrest just one week after the murder. Police found a total of eight different murder weapons that she used to kill Jaina, including a hammer, a wrench, box cutters, and a merchandise peg. She did find the weapons inside of the store. Jaina sustained 332 separate injuries in total, including 105 defense wounds. She was hit in the head so hard with a metal bar from the shelving rack that it shattered her skull and broke her spine. Brittany's injuries, on the other hand, were superficial, nothing serious, and did not correlate with her fictitious perpetrator style of attack. It didn't match the MO, right? Half of the bloody shoe prints belonged to Brittany. In fact, the shoe she was wearing and the other half size came from a display shoe size 14, which was also found in the store. This meant she grabbed the shoe and dipped it in blood and moved around the store making footprints to help corroborate his story, right? She bound herself, which she tied her own feet and hands, and spent all night laying in the store next to Jaina's corpse. Turns out that she spent 90 minutes in her car before all of this happened, coming up with the murder plan and how to cover her crimes. When Brittany went back into the Lululemon store and put her plan into action, she took money from the registers to stage a robbery, sliced her own forehead, cut a gash in Jana's pants to make it look like she was sexually assaulted. 
Reportedly, her managers at Lululemon had suspected she was indeed shoplifting, but they couldn't fire her without direct proof. And when Jaina finally caught her in the act, she unfortunately paid with it for with her life. Now, her autopsy, per the medical examiner Mary Ripple, Jaina sustained at least 331 to 332 injuries before she had died. And unfortunately, I say this with, like, you know, sincerity. Unfortunately, she was alive for about all of them. Um, so she, she suffered during her death. She testified that bruising and bleeding around the wounds indicated that she was alive during her attack. Quote, she had a pulse. She had blood pressure. She was bleeding into the wounds. She was alive. The estimation as to the number of injuries was conservative, said the medical examiner who conducted her autopsy, because up to 105 of the wounds were defensive, meaning she was using her arms or legs to defend herself. Among her injuries, she sustained multiple cuts, bruises, abrasions, and cutting wounds. Six blunt wounds to her head, an other blunt force trauma wound to crush her skull, and a stab wound to her, uh, to her shoulder, excuse me, one to her lower back, and two to the back of her head. Injuries to her chin and a ligature mark on her neck also suggest a rope was used. The blunt force injuries to her skull causing bruising to the internal portion of her brain, which the medical examiner said, quote, takes tremendous amount of force. She also said that she had seen similar injuries in car accident victims. So can you understand how vicious of an attack this is? A car crash, a severe car crash versus someone beating someone to death for it to be that traumatic. That's, that's insane. Now, she did say that the injuries could have been consistent with a merchandise peg, one of the weapons the po prosecution contends Brittany used against Jaina. She also said, quote, you need something with weight behind it, something that swings with a lot of force. Ultimately, she testified Jaina was killed by a knife wound to the back of her neck that pierced her brain, an injury after which she could only survive less than one minute and she said it appeared to be one of the later injuries. She also testified that there were at least five weapons used in the attack. Now, during the trial, prosecutors showed the jury all of the evidence, including phone calls and video footage of Brittany claiming not to know the type of car Jana drove. The evidence was so overwhelming that Brittany had to alter her plea to self-defense. The Montgomery County jury deliberated for just 21 minutes before deciding she was guilty. At the sentencing, her family was so emotional when making statements about their loss, including presenting a YouTube video of Jaina bungee jumping for her 30th birthday, which I would never, like it goes back to her being super adventurous and she was she was like a free spirit from what I gathered during my investigation for the podcast um they were also adamant in their um instance that Brittany you know be not eligible for parole and serve out time she wanted they wanted a life sentence 
She was never getting out. No possibility whatsoever. The judge ultimately agreed, and she was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of the parole. Now, the crime continues to haunt the family and the community. While it is believed Brittany's actions were fueled by a desire to stop Jaina from reporting her theft, maybe maybe a crime of passion, but you know, evidence says premeditated. Um, I only say crime of passion because it's like, if it was premeditated to me in my brain, she would have brought weapons, but she just kind of, I guess, just thought about it and then maybe hesitated and just decided to go with it. I don't know. I'm not a professional. Now, um, the investigators never did figure out a motive. Like, to this day, they still don't know what the motive was. Perhaps there is simply no explanation for such a sudden and barbaric crime. We'll never know unless Brittany tells us. Now, of course, in 2015, Brittany did contest her conviction using a Maryland state law that guarantees circuit court defendants the right to appeal. Her lawyers claimed that she did not receive a Miranda warning early enough in the investigation and was thus improperly questioned by detectives. A Maryland appeals court rejected this claim and affirmed the first degree murder conviction. So sorry about it, tough tooty pooty. Um, the court also rejected the defense assertion that Brittany's trial contained improper testimony from a patrol officer who was questioned about knife wounds. They said, quote, The evidence of Norwood's guilt was overwhelming, and that's what the court stated. The lead prosecutor, Montgomery State Attorney John McCarthy, said the ruling effectively ended all Brittany's appeals options. She can no longer do it. Period. <laughs> Now, uh, she does, you know, go to jail, prison, right? And after that, after she lost her appeal, she has went out of the limelight. She has not tried to do any other appeals because she can't. No interviews, no nothing, whatever. Um, she just kind of doing a sentence. Now, she remains incarcerated at the Maryland Correctional Institution for Women in Jessup, Maryland, since 2011. Of course, being found guilty, her appeal being flush down the toilet and that's it she she got her justice right now um some tidbits that i found about Jaina. um she's buried at forest park the woodlands cemetery uh the woodlands montgomery county texas usa section 12 lot 17 space 6 um you can find it online it is public information not giving you anything that you wouldn't know if you didn't look it up and um, some other things, I like to know what the family or friends or other people do in the community after someone passed that has a big effect on the community. Um, St. Louis University, where Jaina had went to, they created a foundation scholarship in 2021. It ended in 2021, um, but it provided a one semester um, tuition scholarship to a select number of U.S. freshmen entering in the fall semester who have been accepted as degree-seeking students at the Madrid campus and students must have a minimum of 3.0 high school GPA and the award was established by the family of Jaina, a former student of the SLU Madrid. The award was $500 and the deadline was 7-1-2021. Um, I try to look up other memorials, other things that the family's done. 
Um, I, I can't speak for the family, but um, the only thing else that I found is a memorial Facebook page, um, but it hasn't really been active since I'd say 2021, maybe 2022 last year, around Christmas time, Christmas time, excuse me, whenever they did ornaments for Jaina. Um, other than that, that's all the information I got for you guys. I hope you enjoyed today's case. Tune in again every other week, that is bi-weekly, to hear another riveting case. I'll catch you next time on a new episode of Morbid Curiosity. This is your host, Nicole, signing off.